So the big question is this, how do value-obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question, and this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Cheryl and Jeanette with us today. And what we're going to be talking about is what's known as the imposter syndrome or how imposter syndrome manifests for business owners, executives, and what they can do about it. And Cheryl, she actually just published a new book called The Imposter Lies Within. So this is actually a very timely topic. Uh, so Cheryl, please introduce yourself and let's just talk a little bit about imposter syndrome and kind of how it manifests. Absolutely. Well, just a quick introduction. I have about 30 years in the business world, both as a C-suite level executive uh-huh. and also an entrepreneur. So I have that business background and I also did yeah. the deep dive into the healing arts, hypnotherapy, NLP, etc. Uh-huh. And I really, really was interested in, I'm always interested in organizational health, yeah. workplace wellness, but especially you know, in these days. And so I did this deep dive into imposter syndrome, which is this psychological pattern where someone feels like they're not good enough in spite of their accomplishments. Uh huh. And what's really... Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, I was going to say what's really interesting, especially for your audience, is a lot of people think that imposter syndrome is something that only new people experience. When in fact, it is experienced at a higher level by senior executives, business owners in the workplace. And it's very common. Something like 85% of people are experiencing this now. So it's prevalent, it's common, and it's a lot of costs associated with it. Well, so that 85%, that's a really big number. Why do you think that experience level is so high? Because, you know, of course, I I have my own theories, just at least my observation based on, you know, because I don't quite have as much background as you had about a 20-year corporate career before I veered into the entrepreneurial path. But at least my observation is that, you know, in order to ascend in a corporate hierarchy, what you essentially need to do is you need to consistently and you consistently project strength and essentially make it look like you never make any mistakes. And so essentially almost what you need to do, at least what I've observed is you need to, you basically create an imposter persona and then convince other people that it's actually true in order to rise to the top of rating and ranking sessions, because that's usually how executives get promoted is they'll say, okay, you know, we have a group of say 10 managers who are my top two, who are my middle seven and who's at the bottom. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, another way to look at that is like putting on the confidence suit, right? We all learn as we grow in business, what works and what is going to get the desired results. So we have our competencies, we have our accomplishments. And yet we, like you said, you put on your confidence suit, you show up the way you know, you're going to get the desired results. Uh And yet you can still have these feelings these things, this anxiety, the illuminating thoughts of not good enough, or do I really belong here? You know, and I'm telling you top CEOs, Sheryl Mm -hmm. Sandberg, you know, top influencers, people like Albert Einstein, Tina Fey. I mean, across the board, people really experience this, but as you gain in the corporate world, Mm -hmm. you have more to lose. So you tend to suppress these emotions even more. 
Well, and that's actually another observation that I've had as well, which is that I think the way that corporate hierarchies are structured is that as people ascend, you eventually get to a point where you have more downside than upside. And so you end up with systemic risk aversion, which I think is one of the big reasons why existing companies are so bad at innovation, no matter how much money they spend on it. That's exactly right. And you know, you just hit the nail on the head because you just linked these feelings, these imposter syndrome feelings right back to a critical cost, yeah. right? Innovation. We end companies, people in the organization end up in project paralysis. Usually you'll see that more at the middle management level, yeah. right? Or some of any contributor can be there, but you know, we see that a lot in middle management, mm-hmm. certainly at the high levels, you know, the visionaries are pushing, trying to push the business forward and innovate. And yet this crippling self-doubt, which is there that they're hiding, even sometimes from themselves, you know, yes, we'll, we'll deny our own feelings. Yeah. Yeah, well, and because at least tell me your thoughts. My thought as far as, you know, the real break with imposter syndrome is that you have to legitimately overcome your fear of failure. Because I think a lot of people have, at least that's what I've observed is because a lot of people have a self-stigmatized fear of failure, principally because the reason they've ascended is by making it look like or convincing other people that everything they touch turns into gold, which of course is nonsense because everybody has failings. Everybody has opportunities they've left on the table. Everybody has foibles. Nobody's quite as good as how they project, whether you're promoting your business, whether you're promoting your career uh, or anything like that. And I think that, you know, in, in order to in order to really get in touch with that, you almost have to get comfortable with the fact that, you know, it may fall apart and that's okay because if you're afraid of that failure, then that will at some point prevent you from moving forward. Yeah. So I think this is a really important topic because, and this is one of the, the topics I really talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. Because so many people will say, feel your fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Get rid of failure. And that's the cure for imposter syndrome. So it's an important step, a really, really important step that we can feel our fear and do it anyway. We can yeah. move past fear. But let's face it, people don't get to the place they've gotten yeah. to without having done that, right? And if they're still feeling those feelings of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I wake up with this all the time. I don't deserve this. Who am I? Who am I is a big one that goes through people's heads. Yeah. And I don't belong. So if they're still waking up, then feel your fear and do it anyway is not the cure for imposter syndrome. That's one of the myths I kind of debunk. Uh But to your point, it's really important that we learn to move through our fear because fear is wired into us. It's going to be here. It's along for the ride. We don't get rid of fear. We don't get rid of doubt. We don't get rid of comparison, comparing ourselves. Getting past imposter syndrome doesn't mean that you're void of these human emotions and human expressions. It just doesn't. It doesn't mean that you don't want to belong. It just means that we bring that into a place that I call the healthy zone, which is a very adaptive place where fear because fear gives you an adrenaline rush. Sure. And if you can take that fear and work with it, it pushes you up into courage and you can get really creative with it. Yeah. You know, you can change that fear. You don't get rid of it. We just change it. We transform it. So, and doubt, what would you do with no doubt? If you had no doubt, you see, we believe every real imposter because mm-hmm. imposter syndrome doesn't mean you're actually an imposter. It doesn't mean other people think you're an yeah. imposter. It means that you think it means that you think you're an imposter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
It's not from the outside. It's internal. That's why I say the imposter lies within and it lies within. Yeah. It's false. It's false because you aren't good enough. So I think we go back to this idea of fear. Feel your fear and do it anyway. It's a really, really important strategy. We learn to live with fear. We learn to live with doubt. Doubt's your discernment muscle. Comparison, how would you know who you are if you don't know who you are? You should walk into a room and assess the room and get a sense of where you are. Because if you do it from a, I'm comparing up or comparing down perspective, meaning who am I better than? Who am I worse than? And feel terrible about yourself. Like, oh my God, who am I to be here? Because this person has so many more degrees or so many more accomplishments, or how could I ever do what they did, right? Or I compare down, I look for the people that haven't done as much as I have. And I start to feel good about myself because, ooh, I'm better than that. So if we're doing that, that's not productive. That's not helpful, is it? Well, and yeah, I think, a, no, it's not. But I think, you know, in a lot of cases, yeah, it, it ends up being a, I would almost call it like a false baseline or, you know, because mm-hmm. because there will always be somebody who you can compare yourself against and feel inferior. And there will always be somebody who you can compare yourself against and feel like you're doing okay. But ultimately you have to be all right with yourself. That's exactly right. And the way I turn this on its head, you know, when I work with people is, I have them reframe that in their mind to look for people that are better than them. Look for people that are doing things differently or have done things longer. And then just Mm -hmm. say to yourself, wow, I must be doing something right. I'm attracting these people to me. What can I learn from them? And when you see somebody that's not doing as well, look at them and think about ways you can help them. Yeah. You know, and it changes the dynamic. And what happens in the body is your body settles down that anxiety kind of goes away yeah and you realize everybody's on their own journey and you can feel good about yourself wherever you are in the picture you know because it's it's just a journey yes yes it is yes it is well okay so i think we've addressed kind of how imposter syndrome manifests and how some people can overcome it what's something that i should have asked you but didn't what am i missing from the conversation I think, well, there are a couple of things that I talk about in the book that I think are really a lot of people are very interested in. So one is I have a framework uh-huh. for a way for people to kind of understand how it's showing up for them. And I use seven archetypes. Uh-huh. So you have the perfectionist, the people pleaser, the lone ranger who has trouble delegating, feels like they have to go it alone. They're afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. you know, because they might be found out as not good enough. There's the, by the way, the people pleaser really has trouble setting boundaries. And one of the things that I, as I go through these, I'll tell you in the organizational structure, a lot of times we reward these behaviors. We reward perfectionist behavior. We reward people not setting boundaries and always saying yes. In short term, it feels like it's a big win for the company with yeah. how much I'm getting. But in the long term. These people are burning out and they're not, they're getting caught in project paralysis and they are, they just are simply not innovating. So the Lone Ranger has trouble delegating. They don't work well in teams. There's the savior who feels like they always have to come and save the day and will sometimes create issues so that they can come and swoop in and save the day, the superhero. And then there's the prodigy that always feels like they have to go from zero to hero or beginner to mastery immediately, or they'll be found out is not good enough. Now, here's the thing. You see a lot of attrition in companies right now. Mm -hmm. People are leaving the workforce, right? And nobody has really looked at imposter syndrome as one of the causes, right? 
But people are starting to look within and they're getting uncomfortable and they want to go out and they want to say, it's the company. It's not me. It's the company I'm in. It's the culture. Sometimes that's true. Yeah. But a lot of times it's what's going on inside. So we have to stop rewarding maladaptive behaviors. Yeah. And I think that hits the nail directly on the head because, you know, I think one of the things that I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about or that, that I've observed quite a bit is that, yes, there, there are a number of these maladaptive behaviors that end up getting rewarded, end up getting people promoted, and they end up either paralyzing or actually destroying value of the enterprise as a whole. Like, okay. So like, for example, the Lone Ranger, where I, in my background in finance and IT, you have a lot of Lone Rangers, right? You know, a lot of right. people where they do it themselves, they go in, they they, you know, they shake things up, they get things done. People say, oh, this is great. They get promoted. They get put in charge of a team and it's just chaos. A disaster, and right? It ends up being a giant disaster. Or you have the perfectionists. They're like, oh, they're so detail-oriented. Well, so what the perfectionists will do is they'll nitpick meaningless details and let the bigger strategic items kind of go because they feel like they can't control those. Like anybody who has ever been in a meeting where you had somebody who got paid a multiple of your salary nitpick the font or wording on your PowerPoint slides, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I think this is actually one of the things where a lot of people who are in senior roles need to be honest with yourself in that it is very likely you are not earning what you are being compensated for because you are expressing one of these neuroses. And, you know, and because of that, you know, you're trying to continue what got you to where you are right now, but you are not delivering the, the value to the enterprise that you are being compensated for. So I think the other half of the imposter syndrome is to understand that you know, as you rise, there is a commensurate increase in value that comes with it. And you have a duty to the company to deliver that value. And especially if you're in a position, a senior decision maker position, you have a lot of people's livelihood that you're responsible for. You need to execute that position thoughtfully and responsibly. Otherwise you are doing a disservice to the people whose livelihood you are in control of. You know, if you're nitpicking about fonts on a PowerPoint slide, I'm sorry, you're not cutting the mustard. <laughs> right. And I was definitely that executive. I mean, I was that executive and I think to some degree, my team loved that we were able to yeah. produce such exceptional, you know, output. And at the same time, it was agonizing to work for me. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's, um, I, I think it's, I really appreciate that you're willing to be vulnerable like that, because this is the thing that many corporate cultures actively discourage is because, you know, if you go into too deep of self-analysis, then you'll end up looking weak. You'll get the bottom of the distribution. You get that twice in a row and you're gone. You know, I think that I don't necessarily know the answer here, but I think it's definitely a problem that needs to be addressed because I think it's really hitting a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah, so really, that was why I wrote the book, if I can say this. Yeah. That's really why I wrote the book, because people were getting finally to a place where they were getting a good proper diagnosis and, okay, yeah. this is really going on and it's uncomfortable and it, there are real costs. But what do I do? What do I do? How do I get past this? Yeah. Do I just have to live with this, which is what most people say? Yeah. Well, you can do this, you can do that, you can feel better, you can work, you know, get along better. I really have created. And it works, I promise yeah. you, a way to get past imposter syndrome, a way to get past it. And that's what the book is. It's a journey past imposter syndrome. And it's really segmented into four parts, awareness, insight, alignment, and integration with a lot of exercises. But the idea is that you can actually get past it, but it takes going inside out and outside in. It takes 
that holistic approach. It's not like a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. So, and it doesn't have to take a long time. I, I say about 90 days, but you can really get past it and it changes your life. I mean, today I am, I flow, I'm really busy, but I don't get too caught up in anything. Yeah. I make a lot, when I make mistakes now, and you uh -huh. laugh if you knew me before, I laugh about them and I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. It is what it is, you know? And if someone can't take that, you know, and I actually have people work for me sometimes that they're more perfectionists, you know, and they're like, you missed that. I'm like, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the bigger picture, as you said, Doug, you know, exactly. it's not the strategic vision. Let's just get to me. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. All right. Well, uh, Cheryl, uh, give us one or two last thoughts and then let everybody know where they can find out more uh, about your website and uh, let us know, you know, I mean, I, I would assume your book's on Amazon, just like every other book in the world, but uh, uh, let us know where we can find your book. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I think that there's never been a time where companies, especially leaders, are more confused about what they need to do in terms of culture yeah. in the workplace. What do we do about this attrition? What do we do about the work from home or work-life balance? Where is this really going? And everybody has a, an answer, Yeah. but ultimately we need to really stop and kind of a reverse engineer this. Mm -hmm. really, and understand ultimately that there are a lot of things that need to be looked at, but how we interact with each other and the way we reward and recognize the way we train, the way we work with people, the communication, you know, yeah. between people that are different, whether it's gender or race or any other part of the equation, it, it doesn't need to change necessarily completely. Sometimes it's just a shift. Yeah. But those shifts can be huge. So there is a way to really create a culture that yeah. it really is welcoming and dynamic and innovative and, you know, where people are really happy Yeah, because people spend so much of their time in the workplace. They do. And they're often not happy and they end up feeling resentful. So yeah. that's one, one of the things. And they're burning out. Burnout is a big one. That's another thing I talk about. And then the way to find me, it's really easy. My, if you know how to spell my name, it's Cheryl with an S, S-H-E-R-Y-L, and Jeanette, A-N-J-A-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E, so two T's, one N. And it's my website is CherylAndJeanette.com, my social media, LinkedIn, yeah. um, Instagram. Yeah. Excellent. And the book is The Imposter Lies Within. Uh, that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Well, hey, Cheryl, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Such a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.